You're listening to Kistorian Brothers. Phone calls about Kiss from your friends at Kistorian.com. The originals, keeping it real since 2010. <laughs> you know what I was thinking about would be fun, Rich? What's that? Was like a, a if we spent some time on it, like a Kiss like related Star Wars episode. Like we would stretch things, but you know, the both both sort of phenomenons happened at the same time and I was thinking about the fact that at the end of Kiss Meets the Phantom, Devereaux is all of a sudden frozen and we don't know why. And he's stuck in the same position with the hand up as Han. Oh. And that's pre that's pre uh, Return of the Jedi, right? Well the the hand up is uh, that began in uh, the end of um Empire Strikes Back, yeah, and then you see it again. Well, actually, forget the hand up. I could be wrong about the hand up on, on Devereaux, but the point he's is... He's frozen. He's all of a sudden been, like, cryogenically frozen, which sort of... Maybe they did that to leave the door open if the movie was so successful. Imagine that, like... Oh, they could bring him back. Yeah, the, the, the hubris. The, there's no explanation for why, if things went wrong, someone would turn to a block of ice. Oh, no, I think he... If I remember it correctly, he, it's some sort of thing like whatever happened, I forget what happened at the end, you know, what kind of stuff went on to get him to like that. But I, it's like he aged, like, remember he's like gray and everything and he looks really old. Like something happened, like not like he time traveled, but it was so much for him. I, I understand that. But, but yes, he's frozen. He's suspended. He's all of a sudden suspended in animation as if, you know, the sin he perpetrated was so severe that it wasn't as if the talisman, like, punished him. They were all surprised by it. You know, Paul's like, you know, just, you know, a genius, and then he says, just misguided. You know, but, like, did he need to die for it? Did he need to be frozen to death? Like, we don't know why that happened. And so that's my only Star Wars connection. I'll just throw that out there. I feel like Rosenblum on uh, Saturday Suckage on the yeah. score. By the way, he did need to die because he was he wanted to like you know he was trying to take over the park. He was a bad guy. Yeah, he was a, he was you know up to you know yes. He yeah, but what? So somebody yes, he gave him. Been, he would have been arrested. Yes, and he might have gone to jail. So yes, he didn't have to die. But you know. No, but they, so let me ask you this. In that last scene, do you take him as dead? I haven't seen it in so long. Uh, that was kind of what I thought. They don't, like, take him away like that. He's just kind of like that, right? And they just comment no, but on he, it. You know, the rest of the show, he's moving, he's animate. Then he's frozen and still and has aged. And I understand the stress of trying to take over. I mean, I don't understand the stress of trying to take over a, a amusement park, obviously. Well, we, I forget. I, I, it's been so long. You've probably watched it more recently than I have. So, uh, but he's, uh, he's a madman. So he, he got what he deserved. Well, you know, the, the funny thing is, like, and we were, we're you know, this is Kiss Storian, and we're, uh, we're, you know, phone calls about Kiss, and we really have the bar low, and I want to return it to that low bar, which is why I brought Rich back. Yeah. He's been very, very, nice. very busy. Very and nice. the idea is that we don't, we, we tried to come up with an agenda for two weeks, 
And at the end of the show, we promise to talk about the production elements of the solo albums that we like. Um, but I thought we could do a, you know, a random ramble here. Um, and my thought, you know, initially, yeah. which I pitched to you was, you know, how would Devereaux in his heart of hearts feel about, you know, the new kiss, uh, stage kiss, as Gene is now calling it. And, you know, like, uh, you know, literally Tommy stepping in as an imposter and Eric and doing Bath at a Piano and Tommy doing Shock Me. And, uh, I mean, it's sort of, you know, I think that, you know, Gene's not proud of the movie. <laughs> and it's just so prophetic. It's mind-warping. Right, that they would end up eventually doing... At least Gene and Paul haven't said, you know, that was what our way of letting Ace and Peter know they were replaceable. Uh, well, I mean, I think it was because they were, they just were not showing up. You know, I mean, yes, you would have had those stunt doubles do those fight scenes, but you know, some of the other stuff, like the voiceover stuff and and all that, that's because they weren't available because they didn't make themselves available. I mean, they they probably were, they probably, you know. They were actually probably smart. They knew, I mean, how they couldn't have figured out that it was a train wreck, you know, um, is, is beyond me. But I guess, you know, as big as they were at that time, you know, it's still, it's not like they were going to get to do like a movie movie, right? I mean, maybe they could have pushed for a movie. They were big enough. They probably could have done a real movie, like with a real large budget, right? And it would have been really good. That's how big they were. That was the mistake, you know? to just do a fucking TV movie, right? Think about it. They were definitely big enough that they could have... Well, you know, if you cut that movie in half, it's bearable. I mean, the highlights of them in it, I just remember, even as a kid, there was like three three commercial breaks before we actually saw them. We only saw them in the previews and the, like, lead-ins... But literally that whole stuff with them, you know, everybody running around in the park and like these like, you know, rock and rollers that were caught, you know, and then this, you know, (laughs) what's going on behind the scenes with, you know, putting together a real rock show at an amusement park. What what struck me today, because I randomly watched just the highlights where they spoke, is how many lines Ace did end up with and how well he did deliver them. When we now know that, you know... We know we well, know more than we ever could have. Right, but it helps that he actually has you know some personality. You know what I mean, right? He's just you know take it or leave it. He's still you know definitely more entertaining than any of them. But I wonder what Gene was thinking as if this would like cement him as a cartoon character. You know that that's what he was really going for. Like this would be really convincing. Like you know the whole thing where he breaks down the like hot dog shed. That's so low budget that if they did it in slow motion more or something, it might have been like, it was just such a, I mean, listen, I don't know. It would be be really amazing, Rich, would be to rewrite Phantom of the Park like, like it was like a real, like, like, like have Rob Zombie make a movie about that where it's truly like their darkest fears. And it's just this really horrible cool. thing that they've made a deal with the devil and uh, should, yeah you know what to be honest he would probably do it I 
think that would be because he's a huge kiss. Let's fan, call obviously. note to self: call Rum Zombie in the morning. Well, ser- no, seriously, no, but really, that I'll actually cool that is be. a really great idea because, I mean, it, yeah, that's the frustrating thing about that movie is that I understand they were obviously they were on the fence. They had to. They were still obviously trying to appeal to kids and stuff. So how creepy could it really be? But the thing I remember that was the worst thing about that movie was the soundtrack like just the sound effects and all the stupid I mean aside from when they were playing and what have you but it was so you know yeah 70s or 80s or whatever you want to call it TV movie quality like I mean like for instance I've been watching this Obi-Wan show right and the thing is John Williams can't do all the music right because he just can't and he's not going to. He's not going to do, like, a TV show. It's beneath him, right? And, yes, he did the theme for it, but the point being is that they try to make it sound like John Williams, right? But on a lower budget, because they can't pay whoever's doing that the same they would pay John Williams, right? And it ends up sounding like... Like Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, it just sounds like stupid and it's like god I w- right that's like, the difference between a, uh, a TV movie and a real movie right like and that's and that's the problem the, 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 granted the show looks great big it's got a good big enough budget to make it look good but that the music especially with something like Star Wars and, and I guess you can say the same with Kiss is that it's just it, it just is like this isn't acceptable well you know, what's funny is it, it really takes you out of it and um point I think like I think if they made a movie or had more control over that movie maybe I'm not saying they would have provided all the the music I mean that's not really something they do but it really is just so freaking cheesy and it's painful what, what if what if the movie was like the psychoanalysis of these four maniacs you know and you know and the back theme is like in Gene's back of his mind he's this god of thunder but really you know he's this other thing and they have this sort of like subtext behind them and oh, the music. they're just delusional. Yeah, the, the best thing about the new versions that you see of Kiss Meets the Phantom is that they plugged in the solo record music, right? Instead of the, uh, you know, like porno, like disco music that actually gave it its really camp feel. But it looked, it, with the new, like, treatment, with, like, you know, the adding of, like, radioactive when Gene's breaking that up instead of... Uh, you know, like disco music or like 70s backdrop music from like Charlie's Angels playing, uh, it does help it a little bit. Oh, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, yes, the solo albums were not available yet, but the thing is, yeah, if they had just taken in any of those scenes, if they had just somebody with some good editing, you know, abilities had just taken parts of their songs, you know, without vocals and whatever, and just used them properly, oh my God, you know, it would have just been, a, that's the thing, it should be an immersive, like, kiss movie. Right, right, so that raises an interesting question, Rich, which is the only song that we hear that isn't performed live is the the intro song, Rock and Roll All Night. Off of and they don't to even kill. use the live version. And, and everything, you know, they use that on the intro and the outro and the promos. Um, but no other songs. They're all live versions. So maybe that was their way of, like, 
like the deal wouldn't have worked if they had to cut in the labels. So they had to use the live versions, and they didn't even use the live versions from Alive Two. And you know what? I feel bad as a historian here. I assume Alive Two had already come out before Kiss um, Meets the Phantom. Yes. You know, I think it probably had. You know, I think I, I, I could be wrong because I was a little younger than you, but I think that album, I mean, that movie probably came out right before the solo albums. Right, and right as they were putting out maybe Double Platinum. Yeah, I mean, they all, God, I mean, think about, they were just saturating, they were oversaturating the market, you know. Yeah, right, point. very tap, yeah. Um, hold yeah, on, really but, quick. I'm just doing a little Wikipedia check on this. Um, because, right, well, we obviously know it was pre-solo albums, and that's why the songs aren't in there, and that was the excuse. But, like, I think the stopgap, uh, I guess it was, it was uh, yeah, we know it was, um, because it was uh, Strutter 78, right? Yeah. Uh, so it was Strutter 78, solo and live with the fourth platinum album, two years. Uh, blah, 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 blah. When did... And you know what? Kiss fans around the world are like screaming at us, like you guys call yourselves historians. Like I'm not looking at the. Well, you know, we need to edit this out anyway. Right. Well, no, I'm not going to edit shit. So I was just talking to somebody, changing gears here about uh, you know buying a Leonard Skinner album, right? And I was saying that you know for for me it was fifth sixth grade that I was like into rock and roll and buying I mean, albums. You got the greatest hits thing, the white right? Album. And every band in the world in '78 or '77 put out a greatest hits package. So you had the Eagles, you had Silver and Gold by Leonard Skinner, you had you know the Decade by REO. Oh, and Steve Miller. Right, and as a kid, you just wanted the songs that you heard on the radio, so you would buy those greatest hits packages. But like it's a sin to me. There was no YouTube. There was no Spotify. There was none of that. So you had to do that because you had limited funds, right? Yes. And you're trying to catch up, right? Too. Yeah, because you're a kid and you've heard like you know, ooh, that smell, and you and then you heard you know, what's your name, and you're like, how do I get this? Um, and, and by the way, it was that. Am I right? It was like a double album. It was white, and it was like weird looking. Yeah, it's like weird. gold and silver, silver and gold, and it has some of their live record and has all their hits on it. And that's what you would do, right? You would look at, you would pull it out of the stack and read the song names and go, yeah, that's the one. And I was willing to pay, you know, the extra five bucks up or four bucks up for the double album, and you've got it all, right? Same thing with like uh, Journey. Well, Journey did a live record. Everyone did a live record. Everyone had to have Ted Nugent's double live Gonzo. So my point being, um, but certain, you know, with Kiss, we actually bought the albums not in order. We went backwards, but we got all the albums. But I was thinking about Leonard Skinner. Like I asked a friend, like I guess the first album is called Pronounced because it has the like pronunciation around oh, Leonard I, Skinner. Yeah, I, I remember. And the second record is that. called Second Record is called Second Helping. <laughs> and I, I'm thinking, like, if you're really gonna dig on a band, you know, like even if you, you, you know, we don't have enough time and money in our lives uh, to even listen to all these albums, but like, if you just went and bought each great band's first record, you'd be in good stead. Yeah, you would think, right? Yeah, sure. Because I mean, they wouldn't have made it otherwise. The other day, we talked about Foreigner's first album, and it was like... 
it wasn't the first album, but whatever album we were talking about, it was like, holy shit, like, I can't believe every, all those songs are on that album, you know? Right, right out of the box, yeah, like, yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, feels actually. like the first that's time. That's why they became a big band, you know, that's why they, everyone knows who the hell they are. I mean, it's not a, I mean, now it shouldn't be a surprise, but yeah, I mean, those, those were, they were. But you also more, get, like, a way more concise view of what they were trying to put across in their early spot, like, and like the worse the production, the better, you know. Right, but in you a know, weird way. Case, like if you think of the first Foreigner album, right? I mean, the production is a lot better than the first Kiss album, but yeah, but a lot of the a lot of the staples that Kiss ended up playing for many, many, many years are on that first album. You well, know? you could say that, but you know, they did it all live and then added the vocals, and you know, they had the benefit of listening to the Eddie Kramer shit. And they slowed everything down a little bit and made sure that it wasn't like frantic and like all of a sudden like Gene's on the wrong key on bass, like he goes off on strutter. Like there's all kinds of disasters on those Eddie Kramer tapes. Those disasters are removed and they're very like controlled, but those guys had a vision of how that record should sound. I don't mean Kiss, I mean, you know, Kerner and Wise. Well, no, and sometimes. And, and they delivered that to the point where those songs are so powerful. If they had been produced poorly, I don't know that they would be like, you know, think about that Eddie Kramer thing. If they did a, an album like that, they would be like more like a jam band or something. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, you know, that acrobat. A heavy jam band. Acrobat kind of comes to mind, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, obviously it's got parts of a couple of songs and it's a lot of fun, but yeah, it does sound like a jam band. Um, but you know, the first album, you know, there is something to be said about the slower you play things, you know, the fuller they sound and the heavier they sound, and that's what they were going for, you know? Because, you know, like, think about, like, Black Diamond, you know, with the all the things at the end, and you're just like, okay, like, <laughs> Jesus, like, we get it, you know? You, you're just playing the same chord over and over again, but for... For them at that moment in time, that you know what I mean. They were like, "We're gonna." Well, the guy we're going I re, all the way with this. I, take I, it or leave it. I re-listened to the Kenny Kerner interview with Mitch uh, Lafon the other day, and he said, "You know, our realization was that like everyone's going to call this a gimmick, so the record has got to be raw, so raw that it's undeniable. Like even if you don't like the cover, kind of thing, like." What the fuck is this? This is slow and heavy. And it, they, he just said, you know, I knew right away when I heard the four song demo that all the songs were good. You know, like, but, you know, they, he even talks about how, you know, when uh, I'm forgetting the man, Bogart came in and said, hey, we need a hit and we're going to add this other song. You know, if I'm getting behind this, they rewrote Kissing Time on the spot. I've actually never heard the original version and I'm like afraid to hear it. But he said that, you know, the promotion went out with no sort of mention of Kiss. Like, so it, it completely backfired, which is why you have those pictures of Kiss in Woodfield Mall here in Chicagoland, sitting behind a desk like Spinal Tap while people are making out and they don't know who these four guys are or why they're even there. Like they should have performed at it, you know, off and on. Or something. Or something, right? That would have... That, it's funny in hindsight. So apparently, you know, that probably made those guys wonder if they're with the right folks. But they got them on the road. 
Yeah, and it's crazy, you know. It, as as everyone knows, it took a, it took a while for things to you know to really cook. And um, I mean, obviously they were at their wits' end, but it obviously it all worked out. But yeah, it's crazy. It, I said to it, my I said to my friend Anna the other night. I played her one of the clips of our show without dropping names, think? and she's like, "Wow, you know," because she's like, you know, she knows Jeff and. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Jeff, Jeff's like, Anna's coming over? You know, like, take it easy, Jeff. So anyway, she watched it, and she's like, wow. She's like, that rocks. She's like, uh, so now what? I said, all we need now is longer cables and bigger amps. And <laughs> I just, line. you know, making a joke, but, but it's like, when Kiss, you know, when somebody, like, how do you get somebody excited? Well, we're going to buy you these amps and these guitars, and that's, like, a way of, like, making an impression, right? We're serious about you. You know, Bill Coin had no experience in the music biz. That's true. Uh, yeah, I mean... But they were products of New York where, you know, Gene was thinking outside of the box. He's working in Vogue magazine. He's making any contact he can. That was what was interesting about that Mitch LaFon interview with Andre Augustine, their tour manager for years. Yeah, was, I just you know, when to he, today, actually. Yeah, when he talked about, you know, how, you know, what really drove this was that they needed the money. You know, like, it's now, it's now or never. And that even, like, when he went to the rehearsal, he didn't think that, uh, or, or, like, Gene and Paul really weren't sure. Maybe maybe it's because they knew Peter and Ace so well that they were just like, you know, can we deal with each other? Are they bullshitting us? Like, so in other words, and this is before the Grammys, and it's not out. They're literally just rehearsing to see if they can deal with each other. Yeah, that's so cool. It is really cool. No, I enjoyed that interview. But you, a what, lot. you think about Gene and Paul like these little businessmen, kind of right? Who are like, are we going to take a risk on these guys or not? You know. And Doc McGee is saying, you know, absolutely. That guy gave a lot of credit to Doc. Oh, he did? No, he, I mean, I've never heard anybody. Right? I guess I haven't heard, I don't know a lot about Doc, but, you know, uh, he definitely, yeah, he, he gave him his props for sure. Yeah, he said he's the kind of guy who just moves mountains and, uh, you know, has big visions and thinks big. And, uh, you know, dealing with Gene and Paul, I think, is a, probably a, a, a skill that few people uh, would ever uh, ascertain. Well, the thing is, I mean, okay, not only did he have big visions and, and, and knew how to, like, do things and do things to implement it, but it, that's the thing. You have to have somebody else separate from the band, and we know, we've talked about this, you have to have somebody else doing that for you, right? Right, that's what he, you he made the comment. You yourself because it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Even if you know what you're doing, you can't do it because you, you have to keep it separate. Yeah. You know? and, uh, that's what he was saying, right? About Gene being like, you know, a great businessman and like willing to do anything and like step into things. But that's intimidating, you know, and it's sort of like, is this guy going to sue me? He's just coming on too strong. You need a buffer zone. You need a buffer zone, but you also just need someone else to, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it, may, it makes sense. I mean, now that, now that you think about it, I mean, it really does make sense. And um, it's so crazy now to think that there was ever a thought that that wasn't going to be successful. But I, I just kept thinking when I was listening to that interview today, like, they, because he said something about, Oh, God, you know, like, I can't believe they didn't do this sooner or something, right? Because they were 
because they were a little gun shy. Like, but it's like the long, but it was smart. Whether right, it was the timing just was perfect. Whether it was calculated or not. Right. The longer they waited, the more it was going to be successful. You know, and, and they were right about that. Whether they meant to do that or not, I don't know. But the point is, think about it. You know, they waited. It's crazy now to think that it was actually only, you know, they took the makeup off in 83 and then, what, 13 years later? It seemed like a lifetime, though, obviously. It seemed like 30 years, right? Yeah. It's hard to believe that it was actually only that amount of time that they weren't wearing makeup. But, uh... But you know what I mean? If they'd done it too early, it would not have worked. Well, I, it, right. It, the it, other thing. It, in 1990, even yeah. if they'd done it in 1990 before grunge, it right. still wouldn't have worked because there wouldn't have been enough time. People, you know, people. it had been long enough that people had forgotten about them and they didn't, they didn't, the stink was gone and now it was just, oh my God, it's Kiss. And they just waited just the right amount of time and it was perfect, you know? Well, there must have been a glut in the booking biz for Doc to want to do it, right? Like, to choose a band, right? So, in other words, like, he saw this, like, okay, there's this space here, and if you bring these guys back, but the fact that, like, you know, this guy, Augustine, you remember, there's the videos, that revenge video of VHS of Kiss, right? Yeah. And you got Eric running around saying, Andre the Giant, well, that's that guy, right? Oh. And so Andre the Giant was there for all of that stuff, too. And he's, like, their tour manager. And they made him look like he was, like, an enforcer. But he's literally, like, you know, dealing with all those guys. And uh, it just strikes me is that, you know, he made a comment that, you know, like, behind closed doors that he had conversations with either Gene or Paul where it was, like, they admitted or, or he saw that they had done everything they could. And that, you know, he really believed in that revenge tour and the show and the songs and the delivery and the everything that was there. And it didn't do enough. And they realized, like, um, you know, I don't know what else we can do. You know what I mean? Like, are we going to do this again? And, and it's going to fall down. Like, it's, it's not going up. And, like, you know, and we just did a great record with a great video. And, yeah, so somehow you know, the planets lined up to the point also where Ace and Peter went out and, uh, and were playing together. And, you know, the clips I've seen of that, I mean, there's a clip of House of Blues where Peter gets up and plays drums with Ace for uh, Deuce. Yeah. And it's possibly the greatest version and rowdiest audience uh, a version of Deuce I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, well, people were, but people were, yeah, people were like. But I mean, Peter know, was that. banging. Peter was banging. Well, and remember, I I forget what it what it was that uh, I was listening to, but something was either Eddie Trunk or something. But it was basically the the revelation that that uh, prior to the reunion, that you know, Kiss was keeping tabs on them. Yeah, of course. And and, and either had spies at their shows or what have you. Well, just to see if they were in fighting shape, if you will, right? And so, you know, they were probably pleasantly surprised to, to see that obviously not only were people responding well, but they, that they could play, right? Because they had no idea whether they were even up to the task, right? And um, Well, speaking of KISS news, which is well, how are you going to start this? So there's this been a rollout, a weird rollout, like in terms of, blurbs over the bow, right? 
Yeah. So six or seven days ago, you get Ace Fraley canceling European dates due to unforeseen circumstances, right? Yeah, I remember that. Then we get um, a Doc McGee interview. He sort of regurgitated, but might be new quotes where he says, of course, you know, Ace and Peter deserve, uh, this is new quotes, deserve uh, to be involved in the final show because they're how we got there and they may show up or they may not show up or we may invite them or we may not but for sure there ain't going to be six people on stage with makeup that's what he said right uh-huh. and then today or yesterday Tony Esposito who played bass on Anomaly who is from George Lynch's band released a press release yeah. somehow this comes out that he releases why he was fired from Ace's band on the Anomaly tour. I think it was Anomaly or maybe it was later. Yeah. But what happened is he knew Ace wasn't going on the tour bus because he was flying, right? And so when they put out the rider to all the members of the band to add to the rider, he requested a case of Heineken on the bus after the show. Yeah. And it was the first show of the tour or something and Ace found out and showed up and said, you know that everybody shares these fucking riders and I'll never play in Kiss again. They, they think I'm not sober and you just fucked up. You're fired. Oh, like wow. For, for bringing a case of beer on the bus. Then if you read the article again, it's not clear that that's exactly what happened. He said, I'm still friends with Ace, but he said, Ace, he's like, you know, I, he said, you're the man. It's, your name's on the door. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, as opposed to, well, I didn't know and I didn't think it would come back. He goes, there's no alcohol on the Ace Fraley rider. So that's pretty hardcore and not something you would expect. But right. this is in 2009. So, you know, Ace is gunning to get back in Kiss because he knows that's the only way to pay the bills. He doesn't want to be in Kiss. He doesn't like these guys. He's going to tow the line as far as he can tow it. And he has been all this time. And then when they decided not to go on the tour, his crazy ex who will not even mention name, started putting him in a pretty awkward spot. And to make good, this is my synopsis, Ace then took Gene's band so that, A, they could keep tabs on him. B, he makes good with Gene, and there's a chance that he could get back in the band and make the money he needs to take care of his family and and not uh, die destitute and not have management drop him and... uh, you know, he's probably not getting fronted money by E1 in some arrangement. So he's not rich, and that's why he's met this chick who's taking him in. So he has no overhead, right? I'm just, yeah. this is my I know. 20,000 feet, what's going on. And um, But what's interesting, the cancel of those dates either is he's going to play with Kiss, and they've stepped in, and he's got to get sober, and the band has told Gene that much. And this deal has been worked out all along, and now he just has to get sober, so he's not going to go do those dates. Or the band is concerned about him. They've had a mutiny, and they've said, hey, you know, you can't pay us. You haven't paid us. We can't do it. Gene doesn't want us to do it. Uh, I don't know. Or, um, you know, he had an accident, and he's embarrassed about it. He fell and hurt himself, and um, it was far enough out that he could cancel those dates with maybe a renewed date set or um, 
or the promoters being in touch with Kiss who said, listen, we're going to make this up to you because the European dates we're coming to do with you, those final dates are going to have Ace Frehley on them. I don't know. Oh, my God. I mean, look, I, I, I certainly hope that the, the first or the, the last thing you just mentioned are, are the case, and it would make sense because... You know, I, I mean, I can't, I can't speak to how well the, 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 this, whatever, this tour that's been going on for, for an eternity is going. But the point is, if they want to really make some money going out at the end, they have to have at least Ace, if not Peter, too, right? They just have to. I mean, otherwise, you know what I mean? It's just going to go out with a whimper, right? You know, here's what I think. I think the only leverage Ace has left I just thought of this buddy is that his catalog of his solo stuff gets included in the Kiss catalog on the big deal they do when they all check out and they do a deal with Universal or whoever and they sell their catalog like have you heard that new song that new ad with uh with the police in it, you know, every breath you take. It's like an insurance ad. I don't think I have. And it's with a different lyric. Oh, it's God. very upsetting. But the point, and, you know, Kiss is in a new Applebee's ad. But I'm wondering if the only angle that Ace might have, if he's a uh, Hall of Famer, is to say, listen, pay me this and include me in a percentage, you know, to up my percentage of... Um, uh, Kiss catalog, uh, you know, deal or whatever. If they sell, somehow he offers that up because those are original songs by a guy who's not going to be here forever, who is a rock and roll hall of famer. Um, and maybe his audience in any city is only twenty thousand people, but that'll only be bigger when he's dead, frankly. Yeah, and, uh, true. You know, uh, and I'm just you know, wondering. It's an interesting. Uh it's an interesting theory, but I mean, wait, so you probably know more than I do. When is the last, do they, have they announced what the final oh, uh, date uh, is uh, of this tour? Hold on, this tour, final because show, no, no, up. of course not. No, no, they haven't announced it, but I know that it's supposed to wrap up, God, sometime soon. It's gotta. No, 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 I mean... That's the thing. I mean, no, they no, have not announced a, I mean, a final show. But I think 2023 is like the... It, it, now says, it now says the final tour ever. End of the road tour, right? World tour. Yeah. And um, Gene recently this week said, you know, when we stop playing live, that's the end of stage kiss. He used this term stage kiss, but it's not the end of kiss. So whether that means an album or songs or videos or like a new concept, right? Or a new, no. Maybe, they, right, maybe they release songs that don't have them in them but just have cartoon characters in them. Well, I mean, they could do something really cool. Just having other people being kissed. Well, right, we've talked about that, but the idea that like, how, what other content that they could create that they could sell and own by subscription via their website or whatever. So, like, you have to subscribe to hear the new Kiss song. Um, well, you, have to, you have to put in... You're, you're going to hear... know that they've been holding back stuff. Well, hold on. I'll hear about this. Also. So, know. here's an idea, right? So, the new Kiss album costs 100 bucks, And with it, 
though other people may find the audio um, and other people can record it with their phone off of the computer but the fact is you're going to get the the highest res uh, download and you're going to get the video for the song right yeah and um, and they're each going to roll out one by one over like you know each month or something like that where um, and if you get like a million fans to sign up for that record where they wouldn't have gone and bought it for vinyl because they don't have a turntable or there's no record store or they don't want to order it or whatever, they, they're a subscriber like to the Kiss Army. And with that, you know, this extra bonus, which is a pretty good deal, you get all these songs for a hundred bucks with the custom like high end like cartoon videos made for those songs that nobody else has. I mean, that, I would consider paying that, would you not? And if you've got a million fans, I mean, think about that. A hundred bucks. There's definitely going to be people that are going to just eat that up, for sure. So even if you can only sell 250,000 records like ACDC, but you can play in front of millions of people and and sell out 20,000 seat arenas, maybe they can't right now, but um, the money was not being made on the... uh, on the record sales, that that's ultimately going to be on the the bailout of the, uh, the selling of the catalog, right? So Kiss is angling towards that. Like Gene keeps saying, "Oh, I don't know, maybe it's worth five hundred million." You know, keep propping that up. Like there's, they have so much hype. Um, like you saw that Australia thing, right? Oh yeah, where no, they're I in Paris, and, and it was actually the most friendly I've seen Gene and Paul in a while. Hopefully, they're just. Uh, Finally realizing they won't have to see each other every day. Right, but I also think it had a lot to do with the person that was interviewing them. But um, they, they were on their best behavior, let's put it that way. So you know that on uh, Sunday there's a preview of me on Collector's Call? I do know. I know, that's exciting. I But the problem is with YouTube TV, I... I'm not, I don't think I... Have. I have the listings. I have all the listings. I've got all the... No, I looked up all the listings, but I couldn't find it on YouTube TV. You're going to have to go to Mom's. Yeah, no, no, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to see it no matter what, but I don't think, you know, like, I don't know if you have YouTube TV anymore, but um, that it just wasn't one of the listings that came up. But, no, she... I think I... The other day I walked her through it and she's got the recording set up for not only this Sunday, nice. right? So just for, you, for but Kistor- the following Sunday too. Yeah, so for historians listening in, I was on this show, uh, Collector's Call, where we uh, went to this guy Zach's house. Uh, I don't know Zach's last name and that's probably for the better. And uh, we went sure. through his Kiss collection and then I did a thing about, um, gosh, I'm not forgetting his name. Jim, oh god, the guy from WBBM. I feel ridiculous. I may have to edit this out. Oh, Jim. Um, oh, oh god, <laughs> we're hopeless. Hold on, I know we're yeah, hopeless. Glasses, Jim, you know, Elton WBBM, John, right? Elton John. Hold on, we're just gonna get this together. This is a Jim Toronto, great guy. Jim, yeah. no offense intended. Um, and on the new episode, uh which there's a preview for this uh, coming Sunday and then airs on, I think, Sunday, July 3rd. Um, there is a cameo by Gene. And um, and I made the comment that it was nice of Gene to rear his ugly head. And that's why I was really concerned until I got the note this week from the producer, Diana Bodkins. 
with collector's call that the episode is actually airing. <laughs> so I get I don't interact directly with Gene, but it's uh, of course a uh, uh, a lifetime honor to be in a uh, uh, twenty minute segment where Gene does rear his ugly head. So uh, oh, cool. No, I so by the way, did you know that I I didn't I don't remember that, but you knew that back then that he was going to be part of it. I actually. Uh, is that why you? Sorry, I'm confused. Is that why you said that, or is that just? Well, no. When we were um, when we were recording the episode, yeah, they showed me the clip of Gene's sort of cameo call in to the guy who is the the uh, subject of the show. This guy Dave, oh, okay. who has all these guitars and stuff. So they showed that to me, and then they asked me. They must have showed it to me before. Like before we did the recording, That's why you said and that. then they asked me about it. So, and I just, I just was making a joke. Um, so I was concerned that, like, and maybe you know, we were having trouble. Like, I've never done a Zoom interview, uh, let alone a TV show. And I, me and my assistant were having issues, and I may have said some inappropriate things here and there. And I just kind of felt like maybe I'd worn out my welcome with the production team. With collector's call. Well, you didn't, because, I, mean, I mean... Well, I may have. They haven't asked me back. Well, it's... I, I don't remember. I mean, there, there's always... I mean, with all the, you know, the appearances that you've had, I mean, there's always been, uh, obviously, gaps. I don't know how long... Yeah, we've done one every year. But, and, um, and they're going to go to New York next, and I, I, I uh, recommended my friend Dusty Wright from Cream Magazine and so on and Culture Catch and they they have been in touch with him so I don't think they would fly me in you know what I mean like Dusty could play my role and he also has a huge collection where they might be interested so um, it, you know we may have uh, parted ways but it may have been that um, you know that uh, <laughs> I think I admitted to one of the producers that I had a crush on on Lisa but uh, I, you know I don't think I think that's normal maybe yeah, look, you're not the first person that, that uh, you know, grew up, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's, it's yeah, I still mean, like, that's, that's not a big surprise. You know what's funny about the episode is that for some reason I had the invite wrong, and we were half an hour late for the filming. We come on live like we're about to be, we're half an hour early, and Lisa's on screen, she's like, well, there's Dashdown, and I was like, oh my God, I was so embarrassed, she's like, well, I'm glad you can make it. And I checked my phone as I'm doing this and it says, where are you? Right? Like, we're waiting for you. And I'm like, oh my God, Lisa, I'm so sorry. I go, I don't know if this will help, but the flowers behind me, I picked at the railroad tracks this morning for you. Oh my God. Ah. <laughs> so, but I felt like, oh my God, she was probably like pissed. Oh yeah. Like, I'm sure. And because I had said, listen, I'll come on the show for free because, you know, I'm not going to ask for money. I'm lucky to be on this show at all and all my people in Hollywood they're like you should be getting I'm like dude but I said you know what if I'm going to come on the show why don't you know I am dashed down and I have music out and whatever so they were like uh, so dash down but the last thing I expected was for her to ask me a question about me you know what I mean like I was coming on ready to like answer these questions about this you know memorabilia and these guitars and all this and it completely threw me off so I'm I I am really nervous to see what happened, and I'm hoping. You know what, Nolan, what they use end up using, yeah. 
Oh my God. Because, you know, in the course of two hours, the, the amount of things you say. Oh God, the, the amount of things, like the amount of things that you can say in five minutes is, is, is terrifying. You know, like if you think about it, if you just start running off at the mouth, you can say all kinds of horrible, just ridiculous things. So two hours is like. So that's what we're, that's what we're shooting for tonight. So what's your feeling on what's really, like, I, I mean, we could go on Facebook and, and hear what people are saying, but I find it interesting that Ace posted that weird Instagram post with Prince <laughs> and, and basically yeah, look, saying, I, I don't believe... It's a definite possibility because I think that although, although uh, obviously, they have, they have, you know, there was, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing didn't happen, it, and, and it didn't happen when they first started this this tour. But, you know, when push comes to shove and you get to the end of it, and especially since they've been kind of dogging it for, for a little while here, uh, it's it's got to happen, because otherwise it's just going to be like... I mean, aside from KISS fans, really diehard KISS fans... I just don't think anyone's going to really care, you know, about... No, it'll add a little bit. It'll add some some serious... Look, I mean, obviously, it'll add a lot to it for KISS fans, non-KISS fans. But just general interest and just for a spectacle, um, they they have to be involved. And, And I think they probably, I mean, similar to... You know, the, the concept that they would, all, you know, at some point would always put the makeup back on. I think that they, going into this final tour, uh, that was probably always the idea that whether they liked it or not, that was an, in it, that was just going to happen at some point. Uh-huh. You didn't know when it was going to happen, but obviously it makes the most sense for, for it to happen at the very end, right? I mean, less dates but they're going to get more money than they would have for those dates. I mean, it could be five dates, could be 10 dates, but, you know, go out with a bang and also make as much money as humanly possible. It's not that they would make that much more money on the dates, but it would get more publicity. And you know what's funny is, you know, hearing all this stuff like from that guy Andre and all the shit we've digested, the funny thing is that they just don't want to deal with Ace and they probably are pissed at him because he is a dick, right? Like... He is a passive-aggressive motherfucker who will fuck with you at every turn like that he can get away with. Yeah. But the reality is they're actually not worried about him being on stage because even when he's drunk on stage, he's fine. So that isn't the problem. The problem is they just don't want to deal with him. And, you know, when it comes to the end of it, like for filming something special, it would be cool to have Ace. So maybe you get him back in shape. And maybe, you know, maybe Paul is failing to the point where they're like, you know what, we're going to wind this up. But we don't know if we're going to do it with Ace or not. So we got to find out if he wants to do it. We've got to reach a deal. And those dates were conflicting, which, you know, that would surprise me that there was a, a conflict there. There's something else going on. And like I said, you know, being a concert promoter. Um, you know, there's all kinds of, con- you know, things in these contracts. And maybe he already had an out built in. Uh, you know, like there's the potential that this happens. And, you know, at that point we would, you know, give you X amount of deposit back. Or I don't know. But there's, as you always find out with history, the story behind the scene is completely different than the reality. You know what I mean? And uh, oh, yeah. 
I just wonder if, um, you know, maybe Gene and Paul stepped in to help the guy out. You know, because you got to keep in mind, Gene's a really sober dude and he's got a big heart and he knows those guys in his Ace's band. And if they really know what's going on, they might say, hey, Gene, you know what? We're worried about Ace. And then privately, they would step in. No, uh, that right. makes sense. They're family, right? It's definitely possible. I mean, that, that's another... That's a, I mean, but the thing is, yeah, that could pan out like just to help him, but it also could end up being part of the... They, they don't want their legacy to be Ace dies like, you know, a, a drug overdose. Uh, you know, even if they're, you know, badmouth him all the time and shit, they, they don't want that. They do love the guy. And if he's having a tough time, they might step in and get involved and have enough clout with collateral, like show bookage with the same agencies and the same promoters to say, Hey, you know, I just can't see them stepping in and like covering, you know, Ace's problems. It's not like if Ace went bankrupt, they would step in, but that is exactly what happened with the reunion tour. That's why those guys got back out on the road. It's proved they could still do it, and the timing was right. And it was a good hedged bet. If if George Suet only got them two hundred and fifty grand a year to do those tours, then you know I don't know. I mean, maybe that's you know those maybe the fact that Gene and Paul really didn't believe it was going to happen. In other words, like, hey, we're willing to pay you this money, guaranteed. Uh, which is more than they had, right? Like, here, I'm going to employ you for the next year and we'll see what happens. I think it's either Gene and Paul were playing coy, but they couldn't have known for sure that they were going to sell out Tiger Stadium or that that was really that big and Kiss Army still alive. Oh, it's, yeah. I mean, I think that's, I get it. I understand why they weren't, they weren't sure. Cause they, but also, dude, they've been through... They've been through obviously some very lean years, and you know, as, as um, I mean, because you can call it arrogance or whatever, but you know, when you think of those guys, you think they don't have a, uh, you know, they're very confident guys, and you can't even imagine that they would even. But they're just like two guys, like me and that guy, you know, Peter uh, Boyer meeting in Lake Forest, like. Like, remember that, that video clip we saw of Paul with his little, like, revenge-era office in this, like, building? And somebody came to interview him there? Hey. It was, like, okay. so weird. It's like, yeah, he's a businessman, but he's a rock star. Like, the people in L.A. knew that they weren't, like, you know, raw rock stars. They're businessmen. They see him around, like, fucking cavorting and, and doing deals. And Gene, of course, like Paul said, you know, it's like the guy following around the elephant. You know, because Gene's everywhere and doing deals with everybody and speculating on everything and, uh, you know, propositioning this and propositioning that and just constantly pushing out. But, you, you know, it's like without those, those combination of his, like, tenacity and Paul's, like, steadfast, like, you know, pride, you know... It, it's just it's a magic thing that they never got split up like uh, you know Paul McCartney and John Lennon when Gene Klein came in you know and people want to manage them and they try to split the two of them up to get control right um, by the way was it Gene Klein was Gene Klein as Gene Simmons was it Gene Klein no it's, hey. what's his name something Klein 
Yeah, yeah the manager. Uh, but it's and, funny. It's funny though that you said that because that, that's just. just I, I, don't, I don't know if it's ironic. It's funny. Alan Klein. It's it's definitely a Klein. It's just funny. Uh, no, but as it got big, you know, Paul wanted to bring in the Eastmans, and uh, you know, I mean, Kiss is different. But you do have the sort of the same thing where Paul is, both Pauls are interested in continuing it, and John could care less, and Gene's on his own tack. Yeah, he's he wants to get into movies, and now on John did. did yeah, I think did Paul, movie, you know, but John just yeah, he just wasn't as uh, he had other things going on, you know. Yeah, well, Gene sort of realized he was his own his life, brand. You no. Know? I mean, you couldn't blame Gene for realizing he was own br- his own brand when, you know, it's like him and Cher on the cover of People. Well, that's right. He thought, yeah, he whether it was movies or whatever, he just thought, oh, he's going to be fine. I'll be fine on my own, whatever I end up doing, because I'm famous and I got... Right, so it's I, like I, if Kiss is failing, the conversation with Paul is like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll do my best, but, you know, I'm going to look out for myself here. Because uh, we don't know if this is going to work out. You know, and Paul had to, like, roll with the punches to make the changes enough to make it happen where Gene couldn't afford to leave. Uh, and, of course, let go of that legacy. Like, if Gene really wanted to leave, Paul would have driven a hard deal, right? Yeah. Oh, by the way, that's that's another interesting conversation. Like, and not th- not that it would have ever have happened, but uh, you know what would have happened. Like, when you think of like hundreds and hundreds of bands, it could have been Kiss without obviously, Gene. Obviously, you know, you had you had Peter and Ace already leave, and there are thousands of bands where everybody leaves and one guy remains, and then he starts a new version, and then later they have another version. But imagine if Gene had also left at some point, right? God, I mean, I'm not saying that would have ever happened because Gene, I think, is way too smart. And way yeah, but you know what's funny is, in the 80s, if you're watching their videos and randomly tuning in and you give a fuck about Kiss anymore, you're not a Kiss fan, right? You never were. You would think, you wouldn't even know if that was Gene Simmons over there. You know, it was all Paul songs and Paul in the videos, and it, he could have been just Kiss and had a guy who looked better than Gene playing it. I don't know if anybody would have given a fuck. Except for the, the fans. I mean, like the real Kiss fans. But you're right. I mean... Well, because what's weird is we, we hear about these, like, uh, new fans. Like, I think uh, uh, Julian Gill from Kiss Pack said that, you know, his introduction to Kiss was Asylum. You know, and uh, and so the visual for him is really Paul Stanley's the leader of the band. I remember when I went to see Kiss in Mansfield um, after they did the Aerosmith thing, so it was the next time through, and I got a little too high for the show, and it felt like I was uh, at the uh, Phantom of the Park, but uh, because it kind of was like an evil overtone. But my ex-wife at the time turned to me after the show, and she said. I didn't realize it's not really Gene Simmons' band. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, he's over there or whatever, and he sings some of the songs, but it's like the, it's, it's the Star Child's band. Yeah. And I was like, wow, you know, from the mouths of babes. You know, she's catching a show with no information. And she thinks that, you know, she identifies Kiss with Gene's face, but really Kiss is Paul Stanley, and she saw that clearly. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, 
I think we've made a lot of progress, Rich. Yeah, I think so. I think we have. So here's what I wanted to talk about, which was uh, just a couple observations I had. The first one is, on Gene's solo record, the production, you know, with his interest in, like, uh, you know, things that were added, you know, even in, like, think of him more like Paul McCartney, right? Like the orchestration and stuff. You know, I know Paul did that later on other singles, you know, but, um, you know, Gene's song, like, you know, Great Expectations and stuff. So he had orchestration on the record. He sort of had a cinematic feel to it. But the sound of that record is really warm to the point where I can just nail down one thing. It's the warmest floor tom and bass drums on any Kiss record. They're really full and warm and they're not being hit hard. Like the delivery of every song is played by great musicians and Gene adds a slight rawness by playing the, the rhythm guitar but the bass players and stuff, even though they do stuff that would make you think, oh, that's Gene, if you're a kid, right? You're like, oh, cool, the bass popped out there. But it was never Gene on bass. I don't think he played anything on it. But I really think the production on that record, like when you think of Radioactive, Living in Sin, uh, Man of a Thousand Faces, is absolutely, it's, 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 you know, it's not what they were going for in Kiss, which would be separated rhythm guitars lead guitars, you know, like a real simple formula. Instead, and this is the same with Paul's record, not so much Aces, but between Paul and Gene's solo records compared to Peter's and Aces, it's way more blended and produced, like they wanted to do other stuff, which, you know, harkens back to their, the music we heard from them with, uh, you know, Wicked Lester. Yeah, there, well, there's other instruments. I mean, there's a little bit of that with Ace, by the way. Um, but yeah, the production, I mean, especially on Gene's album. I mean, there's a, obviously, there's a lot of production on, on... Well, Ace's record is a Kiss record, and that's why everybody loved it. Whereas, like, Paul's record has a few songs that are really Kiss. But yeah, no, and look... And jeans are, are very well produced. There's a lot of orchestration. There's a lot of in, in, uh, instruments that weren't typically used on Kiss albums. But, you know, Paul's still, though, sounds. Um, it's, I, I, at least in my opinion, like the guitars and, and things like that, it's still. It's definitely more raw, I think. Than jeans. Jeans is very, very, very studio. You know, like everything is. I'm not saying over compressed or whatever, but it's really studio, right? Yeah, I agree. But you know what's funny is the guitar parts that Gene plays are like a guy who, like, they're like, okay, Gene's gonna come in and he just does his strum. Like he he can, he's a one trick pony as he plays, right? He, you know, he's doing strummies. And then it's like really just the sound of the amp and the guitar. And then the other guitars are the textures that have, you know, effects on them. Yeah, and it's funny too that you, when you think about it. So they use that as Gene's primary instrument on the record. Yeah, that's funny because think about it like that, oh, I'm. Um I'm not saying he did this on purpose, but it's like I'm, yeah, I'm I'm the solo artist here, and I don't have to do all the other stuff. 
I don't even have to play bass, but I want to do this. On right, because I wrote the I've song. Done, I've never done this before. And, and, he, and, and I think it's not just that he'd never done, it's not that he'd never done it before, it was just that <laughs> typically he had done that before, but only in demos, right? Like a lot of those demos from like Destroyer and uh, Rock and Roll Over, right? Yeah. You do find out, obviously, I think, you even find out that he, he had actually played some of the rhythm guitar on some other stuff. But the point is, like, so it wasn't unusual, but I think he had just decided, well, that's, I'm writing the songs, I'm, and I'm, that's all I'm going to do, and I'm going to have the other guys kind of come in and, and do that stuff. And I guess that's kind of, that was a luxury, and uh, that's what set those albums apart. Uh, but then Paul, obviously, was just, like, approaching it, in the same way he'd approached anything he did with Kiss, and he was fucking playing, not everything, but you know what I mean, he's playing rhythm, and he's doing some solos, he's doing some, you know, some of the textures, and all that. They just have totally different sounds, they're very, very well produced, and so is Aces, obviously, but um, very different results, you know? Um, I always thought that I I never really I do love a couple of the, the songs on the Gene album, but you know I always felt like yeah it was very it's just so it's just very Hollywood it's overproduced it's over the top it's ridiculous yeah but in context now it's perfect no it makes it makes sense now but it's like uh, you got to remember I wasn't listening to that album when it came out it was many many years later mm-hmm. but you know, like see you tonight and uh, in your dreams or, or whatever yeah are uh, are well in your sorry he had well he had I he felt had, like he version, wanted to show that he was a version and then the then that version if you think about it more than anybody Mr. else sorry see you tonight and Mr. Make Believe are the best songs on that album right that's and, and those are the proof that Gene wanted to show on the record, even though he may have overdone it a bit, like, you know, production-wise, even on those, that he wasn't just this demon, like, because, like, God of Thunder and shit, that he was a songwriter. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was his chance to make friends with everybody in L.A. and not be, like, just in the studio with Kiss, who people didn't think were any good. It was like, here are my songs... Uh, whereas Paul wasn't like didn't have to prove he wrote songs, he wanted to prove he could you know do a couple other songs that Kiss wouldn't do, you know of his his ballads. And what I noticed about Paul's record is that the uh, the blending of the guitars like on repeated listens, like even now listening, not like it's all right, but um, you know like uh, tonight you belong to me. There's this riff buried back there. It's like, I mean, it could be Bob Kulik. You know, it's like, and then there's a harmony on it. And it's so buried that you barely hear it because the rhythm guitars are so big. Yeah. You know, and there's a couple things on there of Paul's like, you know, it's all right and stuff like that. And love and chains that are like, well, obviously, if, if they took all the songs from the records, those four records, they had a great album. A really great album. Yeah, I mean, uh, and by the way, you know, going back to the blending guitars and just being in the background, he just he he kind of just took what he what he was doing on like Love Gun, you know, 
if you think about how that... Yeah, now he didn't have anybody stopping him from doing his vision but, but, but what I mean is he took that to the nth degree on that album, and it's really cool. I mean, it's really cool. And yeah, he got to explore more, like, ballady things, and, uh, and he got to play, you know, he played... I don't know... I don't know if it's half the solos, but he played a lot of the solos on that. Well, you know, what's weird is... They're really melodic, and they're really cool, and uh, he really got to kind of stretch out a bit, and that's why I love that album so much, you know? Um, Oh, yeah, you know, um, Take Me Away, Together as One, and him doing solos, which he later did, like, on The Elder and stuff. He's got a great ear for solos and shit. Yeah, he's he's really... What's funny is his album cover, the picture, his picture was just so sort of like, I don't want to say gay or be weird, you know, it's the modern era, but it was just so like, you know, like you kind of weren't sure you wanted to like him, like it was just too much. And, but then, you know, and, and even the production when we heard it as kids... Right, the fact that they were these mellow, like weird songs was like, oh, oh, this isn't who I thought he was, right? And then the same reaction to Peters, right? Like, you know, I can't stop the rain and stuff. But what's ironic is revisiting Peters' record now. It does have sort of a street like Boz Skaggs New York thing with the guys he's got playing on it, and he actually does play on everything but three of the tracks. And uh, he's playing great, even though the reason, you know, he sat back was because he had been in an accident and stuff. And, uh, but if you break that down on Wiki, like, uh, there's literally four or five songs. And what's funny is, like, Paul would always disparage it. And yet, he's just put out this saccharine Motown, which is, uh, uh, as he would say as Peter, a shadow of himself. (laughs) I mean, I guess the only difference is it's like 30 years later, but I mean, you know, it's different if you put that out like five years. Yeah, but what if Paul put out that record and it was all like recorded like, you know, like from somebody who was trying to get old school sounds? (laughs) Can you imagine? You know what I mean? Where you hear the the amps ring and it turns on and there's only, you know, know, like Muscle Shoals vibe. Let's say he went to Muscle Shoals and got the Swampers to play. On three of those songs. Well, it would sound completely different. Oh, yeah. Right I mean, now, it sounds like elevator music. I like the songs. I like yeah, the writing. I, I, I think, think it's really cool. I just think it's ironic that he was so nonplussed and has been so negative about Peter's record, where if you put it on, Paul, it uh, is fucking good, dude. Hello? It's fucking good. Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, I just think... So I got quiet to see if I could... Oh, sorry. I I thought you had a phone issue. I think the thing is, though, that, you know, both Gene and Paul's album... Not Paul. Gene and Peter's albums are... They're almost... um, They sound so studio, right, that there's not a lot of, you know, especially Peter's there's not a lot of life to them you know there's not a lot of energy it's almost like you're like yeah these guys are in the studio no 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 that's what I'm saying is I thought that before because it didn't have Kiss's rawness and that's definitely true of Gene's record but Peter's record a couple of the songs you know the playing on it is just it's just great and it it is pretty raw like there's a 70s sheen over it but it's not too much I think that's where I have some issues but but they you know there are some good moments 
I just uh, sorry I lost my train of thought but rain or shine well the thing is you you know what I mean you from a very early age you identified and, and you love you like I'm not, I, I, I don't it's not that I don't like Peter you just fixed, you were more you know you were a drummer so you were or wanted to be a drummer at that time so you were more fixated on on, on Peter you know what I mean so you're well, what I'm you know, saying is I've hid from this album and I recently dug back into it and I can live with it and I think it's actually like a really good album I mean, like a yeah, good yeah, I, album. It's a I, good album. It's the best album he ever did. But it's, it, I mean, it's not Boz Skaggs. It's not Bob Seger, but it's in there. And if they'd have hit the right song, they might have got it. And Dirty Living is the best song on Dynasty. And that was the follow-up, you know. Well, that's the thing. If that was on his <laughs> album, which maybe it could have been, I don't know, That things might have been different. You know what I mean? We're taking a Peter Chris dive here now, but uh, by the way, no. By the way, you know, if you, if we go back to all four albums, right? Yeah. You're right that Aces was the closest to Kiss, but they all were not afraid. It's really cool, though. They none of them were afraid to, you know, go away from Kiss and really show who they were and what they really wanted yeah. to do. And that, I mean, that was the whole purpose of it. But the point is, they could have been played it very safe. And I'm not saying Ace played it safe. It's just that Ace, you know, it just shows that Ace was kind of, you know, more or less, whether he wasn't, he may not have been in control of the band, but he was the heart and soul of the sound of that band. And that's why it sounded like Kiss, you know. Uh, but it was just slightly different, you know. And he didn't have to go too far out of his comfort zone. I mean, yeah, there's some songs on there that they would never have put on a Kiss album, but, you know. If you had to pick four songs, you know, one from each, that, like, showed them expanding the farthest, you know, being, like, completely off the Kiss Richter scale, you know, for me, obviously, for Ace, it might be Fractured Mirror or Ozone. Or, or even Snowblind, which has that funk thing going on, which is crazy. For Gene, it would be, you know, uh, Man of a Thousand Faces, because that's like epic, you know, or um, not, you know, Wish Upon a Star, but like you said. Uh, oh, no, I would say Mr. Make Believe. Mr. Make Believe, yeah, Mr. Make Believe. Because they're right? very, you know, he's like, uh, he's like, uh, you know, like, I. Yeah, those are both really, really well-written songs. Right, and then, and then for Paul, like, completely over-the-top, out there, different, would be, you know, Hold Me, Touch Me, which actually stands up. I mean, it seems insane at the time, but that really is... I, I, maybe I got the wrong song there as far as, like... You well, know, no, and what's the other one? Uh, together... Is that even titled Together as One? Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Uh, revisiting no, 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 that, it's really not as good. majestic sounding. Uh, they're not even necessarily love songs. They're just kind of, they're sappy. Remember, he was a huge Raspberries fan, right? So that, right. I think like that's where that comes from. And, um, and they're really, it's not like listening to fucking Air Supply or something. It's just, they're like, you know, they're really. I, I guess the thing is, I really they 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 
to me because it's just so cool to hear him like you know playing guitar and you know really getting into it and like getting to really express himself and they're not they're they're really good songs I mean they're not just like they're not just love songs and then uh, and then Ace I would say what would I say would be the oh shit hold on keep going Hey, buddy, buddy, I got two dead phones. Uh-oh. They're not, they're, hold on. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. I've been going to get into Ace, but we were talking about Paul and, you know, how it was sort of uh, saccharine, but, like, revisiting it now, you know, like, it was probably what he wanted to do with his Kiss songs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, and we talked about, uh, what, the most... They ain't quite right, uh, Homely Touch Me, but, you know, especially, like, I guess, Goodbye. I forgot Ain't Quite Right. Actually, ain't quite I right. love I mean, Ain't it Quite ends, Right. It ends up rocking, but when you think about how it comes... I mean, Tonight You Belong to Me and Ain't Quite Right, the way they come in, they all they both end up rocking, and they all end up rocking. But, like, Goodbye is another one, though, that is really uh, similar to Homely Touch Me, where it's really... Really out there, and uh, and but, yeah, you know, again, they all they do rock, but it's in a different way. And yeah, goodbye is sometimes I get goodbye and hold me, touch me, confused, but they definitely have different melodies, but they're both kind of appealing in the same way, I guess. Well, we kind of have a sense for which songs Paul loves from his first like '80s tour solo, right? And then when he went out on uh, Live to Win. Right? So we know what songs he really loves. I think Goodbye, Wouldn't You Like to Know Me. Um, I mean, It's All Right is like tomorrow and tonight, you know, and then later, uh, all night. Not just because the night word, but like the just standard sort of Rod Stewart, Stonesy, um, humbucker guitars. Really up front. I mean, It's All Right. Like, if I wanted to like convince somebody Paul Stanley doesn't suck... That might be the tune I put on. Right, because in some ways, even though it's very Kiss, it's actually, in some ways, it's even better than some of the things. You know, yes, it's in the vein of Mr. Speed and, you know, Come On and Love Me and all that, right? Yeah. It's It's almost, in a weird way, better because it's just, it's his vision of what that should sound like completely. You know, and they're really, really strong. Um Right, he's not making any compromises, and now he has the the chance to do that. And, you know, like I said, when you re-listen to the texturing of the guitars, not on that song so much, but um, the others, uh, it's pretty hot shit. And, of course, Ace pulled a coup by getting Eddie Kramer, right? Right, because only one of them could have And Eddie. Sean, Del- you know, Peter wanted Sean... But Gene got Sean, and Peter got Vinny Poncia, who later, of course, figures into history quite heavily. He does, you know. Um, yeah, and speaking of Peter, I mean, I, I don't know that album as well as you do, and I wouldn't say that... I mean, yes, the love songs definitely, you know... I Can't Stop the Rain and stuff, they obviously are, like way out there but everything else is pretty much you know kind of R&B you know but uh, I I can't stop the rain dude is so good that it 
if it weren't like the kind of obvious title, like who's going to stop the rain, right? Honestly, yeah, it's a- it's really good. I mean, you know, they had people stepping in and like making key changes and doing. I'm not key changes, but like, you know, augmented chords and things that you know they had all like. I mean, Peter had the right guys together, and and you know, and he got to do it outside of the box. But when he talked about a Brooklyn sound and a New York thing, you know, I think that's as close to like the Boz Skaggs, you know, thing. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the it, the guitar right? playing on the record is so great. Yeah, and I think for for what, he, yeah, look, what take whether you I like it or not, for what he was going for, I think he, yeah, I think it was a home run. I think that is what he wanted it to sound like. You know, it's see, it's weird though because I've often maybe it's because I am just not as into that album and I haven't listened to it as much. But I, you know, I I often thought like it felt like. The Gene album, in some ways, where it just seemed like it was overproduced and like someone else was just like pulling the strings. All right, like he's just sort of detached and he came in and sang, and that was that's sort what of I the mean. pitch. That's what it feels that, like he didn't mean. play drums on it and shit, but all of that. But that's not the case. Obviously, he's got Lukather uh, uh, and guess, Alan Schwartzberg on between, drums. Between the, uh, especially the Gene, uh, not Gene, sorry, the the. the the Ace and the and the Paul records, they really feel like they those out. They put yes, they had people working on them with them, but they really feel like they put their blood, sweat, and tears into it. I'm not saying Gene didn't, but he had a lot of help. Yeah, in Peter's mind, a lot more he help, was you know, Peter's Peter mind because Peter remember Peter can only sing and play drums. I mean, yeah, maybe right. So acoustic guitar. But. So imagine right. Peter as this big hit and uh, you know he's a singer so on this record in his mind he's a singer but you know the whole thing was you know all along I had heard that he didn't play anything on it but that that is not true you know he only didn't play on a few tracks and definitely uh, um, hooked on rock and roll as him and that's a great that's a great drum track, and that's a great rock and roll song that could have been a, as big a hit as uh, "Rock and Roll Never Forgets" or anything else. That that's the rock and roll song on this record, and it it's not a divergence from Kiss because it's based in that rhythm and blues of rock and roll night, tomorrow and tonight, and all that. But um, that's a really good song, man. It stands up, and you try to learn it. And it's not as easy as you think either. Yeah, probably not. I mean, and by the way, I'm looking at, I'm just seeing it says, uh, drums on all songs except track six, seven, and 10. Percussion on track eight. Yeah, so yeah, he, he played a lot. And he should, and rightfully so. I mean, I'm glad he did. And uh, that first song, way, that first way, song, you know, I'm Gonna Love You. What's that? That first song, I'm Gonna Love You. Yeah. Is now more of a guilty pleasure than ever. Like I never liked it, and I popped that's it on the other day. Silly one like, that comes in like disco. Yeah, it just felt like, it, and it felt sincere. Right, but it's a it's it's a, certainly a, a a strange, you know. Well, you forget right. that they were literally living that right there in New York. <laughs> I guess I, at the clubs with all these cats. 
I know, but you know, I just to me, yes, he that might have been what he wanted. But I, I just feel like you know, there's like maybe too many people in his ear. Like, yeah, you got it. This is you're going to be your. That's going to be the song. Well, hold on. Well, let's just think for a second here. Being the first single was. Um, you know, tossing and turning. So I actually don't know, and I should know what they did in terms of singles, right? With I'm pretty sure tossing and turning was the correct, but it should have been hooked on rock and roll. Yeah, I... or I can't stop the rain could have been a crossover hit. You have to wonder if Gene and Paul, um, you know, I mean, they couldn't stop New York Groove, and. Uh, that just caught its own ground. But I'm wondering what they actually sent to the stations. You know, um, did they send... Well, again, another huge miscalculation. Not obvious, Obviously, it was insane to release four albums at the same time uh, and expect that all of them to get the same amount of, you know, like press. Uh, but yeah, to have four singles come out at the same time. I, I don't know if they staggered them or not, but it was just... I don't know what the hell they were thinking. No, I don't even know if they did four singles or what they did. Well, I, got, I hope they didn't because that would have been the dumbest thing on the planet. What's funny is I actually don't know the answer to this. And, and uh, you know, it's like we know that, you know, Detroit Rock City was the single from, you know, Destroyer and Beth was on the flip side and they flipped it. Um, oh, hold on. It's telling me right here that singles from Peter Chris don't let, don't you let me down and you matter to me. That's what it says on Wikipedia. But okay. Tossing and Turning is the one that I remember. That's the, well, that's only, the only one, one I remember played. when I was younger. Yeah, but that's a cover. I mean, they wouldn't leave it a single that was a cover. So what's funny is that Hooked on Rock and Roll would have been like an expansion of who Peter Chris is, right, to like a mainstream audience. It'd be like, oh, this great voice, and it's like Midwestern roots rock and roll. That song is so well written. There's nothing I would change about it. I got to be honest. Yeah, no, I hear you. Uh, I, I think we're focusing more on Peter than anyone would expect. Well, no, we 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 are now. We've spent plenty of time on the others before, but uh, I think the, I think my my issue with the album, for the most part, is just like even you know. Even the songs that are more straightforward rock and roll, even if they're a little Motowny, there's just not a lot of guitar. You know, they're not very heavy. Right, like and, and they're very and over, and they're kiss. So that's not really gonna. It doesn't do it for me. I'm afraid. I just don't know why he. I understand if he was into Motown and into soul kind of music, right? But it's like to completely remove any balls from the, the equation. Well, no, so maybe in his thought was, this is my chance, right, to have a future career outside of KISS, and this is what I want to do. This is the music I would do. So he's literally, Ace is thinking, I don't want to go solo. Ace is showing, I'll show you fuckers. I'll make some money. Gene is saying, I'm going to make as many friends as I can out of this to set me up later. And Paul goes into a bunker and, you know, wants to make like the Kiss record uh, that he hasn't made before. Yep. And whereas uh, Peter may be angling to get the fuck out and saying like, I'm the new Bob Seger. Yeah, maybe. Because he could have done one heavy rock song, right? Yeah, I, I just think that like... 
Peter, like, if you think about it, he was very soulful. Like, if you think of Let Me Go Rock and Roll and anything that he sang on, obviously, in Kiss. No, he didn't sing on Let Me Go Rock and Roll. Sorry, sorry. Duh. Uh, 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 nothing to lose. What I'm thinking of. Nothing to lose. Thank you. Uh, same, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And point is that, like, he would really emote, and he was really, you know, like, really going for it. And yes, there may be uh, there may be moments on the album that are like that, but you know, problem is like for the most part, you know, studio doesn't really quite deliver that. You know, just regardless of whether it's Kiss or Peter or Chris Peter Chris solo album, you know, he, yeah, he has moments obviously, but I think the thing is what happens when when you're playing with a band and it's rocking, right? You know, whether you're in the studio or whether you're live, you are, you're putting out differently than you would because you're competing with guitars and heavy guitars, right? All of a sudden, when you remove all that and you're in the studio, right, and it's got no balls, when do well, you... Well, you're not, you're not you, pushed. When do you need to sing, like, the... Fuck. Fuck. You, Shit, dude. Like dude, dude, my phones are all dying again. Oh, God. Listen, you're, 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 hold on. I love it. I love it. Hold on. Let's hear that for a second. I love it. Hey, no, I was just going to say, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're pushed... But, you know, as we let go right now, because we're about to have dead phones, we're going to call the episode. Here's the yeah. thing. If if Peter Chris sucked, they wouldn't have let him in the band. And he wouldn't have been the guy closing every fucking show when he was in that band as the last vocalist to sp- sing. Because he was unhinged, raw, amazing live. Hey, buddy, I'll call you oh, later. No, no, we're, I'm we're, not saying that he's... No, I'm saying my phone's dying and it's over. No, but let me just finish. I mean, if... Yeah, it's going to die. If we don't, and if we don't, we don't. But I'm just saying that, like, he was... That album, though, it's... That, I'm just talking about the album. It doesn't have those kind of moments, yes. It doesn't have those moments. I mean, yes, Black Diamond... Um, Nothing to lose. Have those moments because he had to. He had to push it, and none of that really is evident on that album. Is all I'm saying. And right. It's a shame because it just doesn't have the energy. At least that I think that it, well, that it should. Well, hooked on rock and roll does. You know, there's moments in there with the drums in his own feel. That's his own feel, and. Uh, uh, hey, buddy. Good night, man. It it's over, dude. My phone's going to die. That he drummed to, it was different. Like, <sighs> you know, it's different than when you just kind of sit and you walk in and you're in the vocal booth, right? Yeah, I get it. I'm just letting you know this phone's going to die in five seconds. I got you. I got you, buddy. That's well, why I'm, I'm not cutting you off. I'm just telling you, you know, here we are. We've done, we've finally done a good Kistorian Brothers uh, revisit. Yeah, by the way, my Ace Fraley track that was off of the regular path yeah. would have been Fractured Mirror. I don't know yeah. about that. But. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's yeah. that's beyond Kiss's normal uh, spectrum. I mean, it is an instrumental, but it's still definitely way out there. I mean, it's like science fiction. And it stands up. It does. Use it on fucking three albums. Right? How many times? If did not he- four. 
Yeah, yeah, anomaly. Well, anomaly too. All right, buddy. Okay, buddy. Good night. <laughs> bye bye. You're listening to Kistorian Brothers. Phone calls about Kiss from your friends at Kistorian.com. The originals, keeping it real since 2010.